1: Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Tuesday, July 28th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Can trained dogs sniff out positive COVID-19 infections? It's 2020, and people are apparently still finding legit buried treasure. This week, NASA is sending a 600,000-year-old Martian rock back to where it came from— And the coolest new Instagram sensations are a pair of octogenarian laundromat owners from Taiwan. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Kicking off today with some potentially positive COVID-19 news from our canine friends. Dogs being trained to sniff out drugs, weapons, and diseases like malaria and even cancer is nothing new, but a new study shows that when trained, dogs are able to sniff out COVID-19 infections. Quoting CNBC, a new study which was piloted by the University of Veterinary Medicine Hanover, the Hanover Medical School, and the German Armed Forces found that if properly trained, dogs were able to discriminate between human saliva samples infected with SARS-CoV-2 and non-infected samples with a 94% success rate overall. The hope is this method of detection could be one day used in public areas such as airports, sporting events, and other mass gatherings, in addition to laboratory testing, to help prevent future COVID-19 outbreaks, according to researchers, end quote. The study was conducted using eight dogs from Germany's armed forces. They were trained for a week using a thousand samples of both infected and uninfected saliva, although neither of the researchers nor the dog handlers knew which was which. Marin von kokritz widow, who conducted the study, says the dogs can probably detect a metabolic change which occurs when a person is infected. The one issue? The dogs apparently can't differentiate COVID-19 from other diseases like influenza. Yet. But the research team says that is the next step. And the Hanover Medical School in Germany aren't the only ones conducting trials on trained dogs. Researchers at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine are also training and studying dogs to see if they could detect COVID-19 from a person's body odor, which they say is altered by respiratory disease. And as for the canine's welfare, quoting CNN... Dogs are known to be able to contract COVID-19, but there is no evidence that the virus can spread from dog to humans. The team at Medical Detection Dogs assure CNN that the dogs are well looked after and will be kept safe from infection. Our dogs will be trained on a dead virus and then have no contact with the individuals they are screening, but will sniff the air around the person, says Representative Gemma Butlin. The dogs will only be permitted to be touched by the handler, which therefore means there will be very low risk of spread of the virus from the dog to their handler or to the people they live with, quote. While this might not replace the uncomfortable diagnostic tests, it could certainly, as the article said, be a boon for public spaces where you need to test large numbers of people instantaneously and where fever scanners would only catch symptomatic people. Assuming, that is, that the dogs could sniff out positive infections in asymptomatic cases. So we'll have to see how accurately the dogs can be trained, but sounds like a promising solution so far. In news that barely sounds real, an anonymous man has found a chest of buried treasure in the Rocky Mountains. The chest, containing gold, jewels, and other artifacts worth at least $1 million, was hidden about a decade ago by New Mexican author and art dealer Forrest Fenn. He put clues to finding the treasure in his memoir, The Thrill of the Chase, and an estimated 350,000 people have been searching for it ever since. While many talk about how it's been a nice way to bond with their families and explore nature, which was part of Fenn's intent in creating the hunt, others have gotten into significant legal trouble and even died. Quoting AV Club, five people have died looking for the Fenn treasure. Two hunters a year apart went missing looking for the treasure and were found washed up along the Rio Grande. One searcher fell down a steep slope in Yellowstone National Park, another drowned after their raft overturned on the Colorado River. A fifth searcher's entry is confusingly worded. He and a friend seem to have been rescued twice in the span of a month in Colorado, and he died while the friend survived. Other treasure hunters survived the search but still got into trouble. Treasure hunters have gotten into trouble for digging beneath a Descanso roadside monument and in Yellowstone and Herons Lake State Park. In 2018, Robert Miller broke into Fenn's house and was caught stealing a chest that he thought contained the treasure. Another man sued Finn for fraud to no avail. A 2020 searcher attempted to rappel down the Grand Canyon en route to where he thought the treasure was. He spent a week in jail, was banned from Yellowstone for five years, and had to pay $4,000 in rescue costs. Even at his sentencing, he was convinced he was on the right track, even though Finn had written that no climbing was required to find the treasure, end quote. And it is strange to me how many people went to such physical feats to find the treasure when Fenn was on record as saying that a 70-year-old man like himself could safely walk to the hidden location. But I suppose when you're a treasure hunter, you treat everything like a clue, not a straightforward fact, so anything could be misleading. And another point of controversy? Some of the treasure in the found chest might not be so pure. Quoting again, It's possible some of Fenn's treasure was ill-gotten. In 2009, before he announced the treasure hunt, but presumably after he hid the treasure, his home was raided by the FBI in connection with suspected artifact looting. Wikipedia lists artifacts they found in Finn's possession, chainmail from Pecos National Historical Park, a feathered talisman, a bison skull, and human hair. The article says, some of which was confiscated by the FBI, not which ones, two other suspects in the same investigation committed suicide, and Fenn publicly blamed the FBI for their deaths, end quote. Well, that escalated quickly. Definitely something fishy must have been going on there for a simple looting investigation to come to such a tragic end. But further than that, Fenn's art gallery in Santa Fe sold forgeries of European painters like Degas and Monet alongside Native American artifacts that I think it's safe to assume were not gifted to him by the local Hopi people. However, he acquired or earned the money to acquire the treasure. Fenn was inspired to hide it after receiving a terminal cancer diagnosis in 1988, But fortunately, he recovered from cancer, was able to write his memoir with the clues to finding the treasure, and is still alive to this day, so he was able to meet the man who finally found it. Although the man himself has chosen to remain anonymous, and I can't blame him. With how much fishy stuff has already happened in Fenn's orbit and how diehard some of these treasure hunters are, I very much doubt he would get to live a safe, quiet life if he revealed his identity. I had no idea until a few years ago that treasure hunting was even still a thing, or at least that there were actual, active, and confirmed hunts being orchestrated as opposed to, you know, just like mythical ones that some conspiracy theorists had gotten into their heads as being real. I was first introduced to the scene by a couple of my friends who have been casually following the treasure hunt surrounding Byron Prius's The Secret for several years. The Secret was published in 1982, and it contains 12 images and 12 verses. Each pair, which are mixed up, correspond with a box that's hidden somewhere in the United States and Canada. Three of the 12 boxes have been found so far. My friends got close enough to figure out that there was a box in their hometown, but not enough to find it before someone else did last year. It was actually found as part of a Discovery Channel show called Expedition Unknown, so you can check that out if you're curious. The two other boxes were found in Chicago in 1983 and in Cleveland in 2004. Unfortunately, Prius died in a car accident in 2005 before he could see the rest of the boxes found. There are a number of other treasure hunts like this one, so-called armchair treasure hunts, a trend that was sparked by Kit Williams' 1979 Masquerade, a picture book with clues leading to a jeweled golden hair. Many of the hunts remain unsolved or were smartly given a deadline, and when no one solved it under the deadline, the winnings were donated to charity. Still, for the ones that are still active and out there, it could be a cool hobby to pick up during lockdown. You know, there's a ton of research and planning you'd have to do before you ever left your house, so why not give it a shot? A rock that left Mars 600,000 years ago is being returned to the red planet on Thursday thanks to NASA's Perseverance rover. Or rather, it's beginning its journey on Thursday. It'll be quite a while longer before it actually gets to Mars. According to Caroline Smith, the head of Earth Sciences Collections and principal curator of meteorites at the National History Museum in the United Kingdom, quote, Say al 008 or S-A-U-008 formed about 450 million years ago, got blasted off Mars by an asteroid or comet roughly 600,000 to 700,000 years ago, and then landed on Earth. We don't know precisely when, but perhaps a thousand years ago, and now it's going back to Mars." End quote. The meteorite itself was discovered in Oman in 1999, and the fragment SAU-008 has been in the Natural History Museum since 2000. Its origin was confirmed due to the tiny bubbles of gas trapped inside the rock, which are an exact match for the atmospheric conditions on Mars. SAU-008's job on board Perseverance will be to help calibrate the rover's scanners and other instruments by using it as a reference point for the other natural minerals on Mars. Quoting Science Alert, A small slice of SAU-008 is going to be mounted onto the SHERLOCK, or Scanning Habitable Environments with Raman and Luminescence for Organics and Chemicals Spectrometer, carried by Perseverance, which will use a laser to analyze the chemical and organic composition of Martian rocks. Having a piece of original Mars meteorite on hand should make this study more accurate and reliable, and Sherlock is taking along nine other different materials to test them in the atmosphere of the red planet, including a material that could be used in future spacesuits. While a meteorite chunk has previously been blasted back into the orbit of Mars, this is going to be the first time a fragment like this will have been returned to the actual surface. It will be used around Perseverance's landing site, the Jezero Crater. The 49-kilometer, or 30-mile, bowl may once have held a lake, and one of the jobs that Perseverance has is to look for any lingering traces of life. End quote. The Perseverance rover will launch from Cape Canaveral on July 30th during a two-hour window starting at 7.50 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and you can watch it live on NASA's official social media channels. Ending today with a heartwarming story about two octogenarians who have recently become insta-famous. Chang Wanji ji and Su su married couple and owners of Wansho Laundry in central Taiwan, recently found a new way to fill the time during lockdown when their customers dwindled to a trickle and a new use for abandoned clothes. They dress up in the clothes and do fashion shoots for Instagram. And just a reminder, again, the pair is 83 and 84 years old, but they can bring it with their styles. Their 31-year-old grandson, Reef, helps style them and manages the Instagram account, which was originally his idea, but Chang and Su really sell it with their model poses and overflowing charisma. Reef just thought it would be something fun for his grandparents to do to fill the time and never expected it to attract the level of attention it has over half a million followers from all over the world. Quoting the New York Times, the couple may be internet famous today, but their 61 years together had a more traditional beginning. Their story traces that of modern Taiwan, beginning during the repressive era when it was under martial law and unfolding as Taiwan gradually grew more outward looking and confident. They wed in 1959 and became parents to two sons and two daughters and eventually grandparents to six. They worked together at the business that Cheng had been managing since the age of 14 and built up a large clientele, some of whom still bring their laundry there despite having moved long ago to downtown Taichung. Now, Wanshou Laundry, which takes its name from the second characters of the proprietors' names, is open daily from 8am until 9pm, although it sometimes closes early if it's raining, Mr. Chang said. He and his wife are the only employees. End quote. The couple isn't looking to leverage their newfound fame, they're just happy to have found a fun new hobby at their age and encourage others to do the same, to get out there and do something other than just watching TV or napping. Though Chang did tell the New York Times that he hopes some people whose abandoned laundry is being modeled will recognize it from the photos and come back to chat and pay their bills. A few days after talking to the New York Times, however, a customer who had left her clothes there over a year ago did just that bringing joy to thousands around the world, and getting back lost money. These two really have figured it out. And if you want to see their photo shoots, which I super highly recommend, they are so great. The link to their Instagram is in the show notes. That's all I got for you today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media, the daily news podcast people. I'm Jackson Bird. I hope you all have a very good rest of your day, and I will talk to you tomorrow.
0: Say goodbye.